On the morning of June 2, 2009, a woman living in Wayne County, Ohio, received a knock on her door. It was the boy who lived in the house next door, and he claimed that he couldn't wake his mother up. As the woman went to check on her neighbor, she discovered that she wasn't breathing. Because they lived in an Amish community, the woman had to call 911 from the community's phone. But by the time authorities arrived, the unconscious woman could not be helped. This is the murder of Barbara Weaver. I'm Ashton, and welcome to The Haunted Corner. Welcome back to The Haunted Corner. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to thank everyone who has taken the time to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. This is such a huge way to help the podcast, so thank you. Also, if you haven't already, head over to Patreon to have access to the exclusive content over there, and you'll get access to episodes before they drop in the regular feed. Plus, you'll be supporting the show and helping me continue to put out more and more content. So thank you in advance. Today's episode is about the murder of Barbara Weaver. This one has lots of twists and turns. I got some of my information from a book called A Killing in Amish Country by Greg Olson and Rebecca Morris. So let's get into it. The Amish first settled in Pennsylvania in the early 1700s after fleeing persecution in Switzerland over their beliefs. They arrived and settled in Ohio around 1809, where the largest Amish population in the world now resides. Until the middle of the 20th century, the Amish attended public schools in America, but when the consolidation of schools began and influence of extracurricular activities heightened, the Amish began to develop their own schools. Each year, over 20 million tourists visit Amish communities, which is kind of weird to me. They're basically a tourist attraction that reminds visitors of a simpler time in America, which I guess can be appealing as opposed to the way most Americans currently live, but it seems a little invasive because these people are just trying to live. Barbara Weaver was born in 1979 into a large, close-knit family that was a part of the Andy Weaver Amish, which is a very conservative group that follows the rules about driving, hair and beard lengths, and electricity. They weren't allowed to have phones or cars or refrigerators. They would paint their barns red because they believed that white was too flashy. Barbara had two brothers and an older sister named Fanny, who would prove to be key to the investigation into her sister's murder. Barbara and Fanny attended an Amish school until eighth grade before leaving. They lived a a fairly normal life within their community. Barbara loved to read and looked forward to becoming a wife and having children. Even during Rumspringa, which is a time when teenagers who are not yet baptized within the Amish community choose to venture out and experience life outside of the community 
going to parties, etc., before deciding if they want to return to the Amish community and become baptized as an adult. Barbara didn't leave during Rumspringa. Instead, she spent time having sleepovers with friends and reading romance novels featuring Amish girls. Because the Amish don't take or pose for photos, there aren't actually any photos of Barbara, aside from the photos that were taken at the crime scene. But she was described as beautiful and kind by those who knew her. her. She had long hair and hazel eyes and was approximately 5 feet and 8 inches tall. Eli Weaver was a young man who was also a member of the Andy Weaver group. Barbara and Eli had known each other since they were very young. Eli was known by other community members to, quote, get into things. This usually meant that he had a cell phone or a camera or he drank alcohol, something that would have been frowned upon in the community. Barbara and Eli dated or courted for a year where they would spend hours on buggy rides, talking, or attending Sunday evening singings together where young Amish members would gather for dinner and socializing. The two married in May of 1999 in a traditional Amish ceremony. Barbara wore a homemade blue dress with a white cape and apron. She wore a black satin cap that would be exchanged for a white one after the wedding. Eli wore a dark suit and a white shirt, and after the wedding, he let his beard grow out, which was something that married men married men did. Amish marriages follow traditional gender roles, meaning the husband would work or farm to support the family while the wife maintains the house and raises the children. The marriage between Eli and Barbara Weaver was no different. Barbara gave birth to five children over the course of seven years, and she took care of the children and the home while Eli worked at the family business, which was a sporting goods store that was located near the house. From the outside looking in, Everything appeared to be great. Barbara was an excellent mother, and she was really kind to the children. But everything was not as it appeared with Eli. According to Fanny, Eli wouldn't give Barbara enough money to feed and care for the children, and she didn't have access to their shared bank account. Bills were not getting paid, and it wasn't because they didn't have the money. They were doing well, but it was all about control. On one occasion, it was Barbara's turn to bring pies for church, and Eli wouldn't give her the money to buy the ingredients. He was known to push Barbara around and was pretty abusive to her as well. Not only that, but Eli wasn't the most faithful husband to Barbara, which of course is not ever a good thing. But this really put Barbara in a tough position, because it's not like she could just up and leave Eli. Divorce was frowned upon in their community. And she was just kind of stuck. Until one day in 2006, Eli just took off. He left his family to live with an English woman. And Barbara packed up the kids and moved them off the property about 15 miles north. At that point, family and friends had given Barbara $6,000 to help her move. And eventually, Eli came back to the family repented for his sins and acted like things were normal. He begged Barbara for forgiveness and talked to the community's bishop about being a better husband. When Eli returned, he took Barbara's checkbook and all of the money that her family and friends had given her. 
And it was around that time that someone had given Eli a cell phone. So his connection to the outside world remained. He was in online chat rooms talking to women who would perform sex acts that his wife allegedly wouldn't because they were against her faith. But there was a woman who was closer than anyone could have expected and would play a huge role in the family's future. On Tuesday, June 2nd, 2009, Barbara's sister Fanny loaded up her children into a buggy and set out for the Weaver home, where they were planning to spend the day. As she turned onto the driveway of the home, a neighbor stopped her and let her know that something was very wrong. Shortly before, a neighbor had heard a knock at their front door, and when they opened the door, it was Harley, one of Eli and Barbara's sons, saying that he couldn't wake up his mother and that he knew she was dead. As the neighbor went to investigate, they discovered Barbara unconscious in her bed with a gunshot wound to her chest. The neighbor ran to the community phone, which was located in the barn, and called 911. Barbara Weaver was pronounced dead on the scene. The coroner arrived and confirmed that Barbara had died sometime between midnight and 6 a.m. on the 2nd, and the house quickly turned into a crime scene. Authorities went to talk with neighbors and noticed that the family's store was closed and no one could find Barbara's husband, Eli, anywhere. At that time, they didn't know if he was a victim too or if he was involved, so they wanted to find him quickly. According to neighbors, Eli was at Lake Erie with some friends about an hour to an hour and a half away from the home. One of the friends who Eli was fishing with was not Amish and had a cell phone, so the neighbors called him to tell Eli to come home because there had been a tragedy at the house. Eli met with officers at the police station to try to get an idea of why someone would want to hurt his wife, Barbara. According to Eli, he came home around 11 o'clock p.m. the night before, and he saw his oldest son asleep in the living room. He said Barbara woke up to say goodbye to him at 3 a.m. when he left to go fishing. He denied any involvement and claimed he didn't know what happened to his wife. Police tested his hands for gunshot residue, and they tested negative. They were also able to verify his alibi. His friends confirmed that he was with them at Lake Erie fishing at the time of the murder. But later on, it would be mentioned that Eli was behaving very strangely on this fishing trip. According to Barbara's sister, Fanny, Barbara came forward shortly before her death, and she was suspicious that Eli was once again having an affair. She was worried that someone would become jealous of her and try to harm her or the family. She wasn't afraid of Eli, but she was afraid of the girls that he was seeing. Police confronted Eli about his past affairs, and he immediately clammed up and would not speak to them without an attorney. Detectives received a message from one of the neighbors saying that there was a voicemail that was left on the communal phone that said, among other things, quote, you can run, but you can't hide, end quote. Basically implying that they were after Eli and that Barbara was not the intended target of the attack. Police interviewed other neighbors and got a lot of tips. Neighbors and members of the community claimed Eli had been spending a lot of time with someone they referred to as the taxi lady. She drove him all over town, anywhere he needed to go, she was a Mennonite woman named Barb Raber. 
Barb was adopted and raised Amish, where when she met her husband, Ed, they left the Amish community. They lived nearby, and Barb would still drive members of the Amish community around as a way to make money. So detectives were interested in speaking with Barb, and they called her on her cell phone. Because, yes, members of the Mennonite community can have cell phones. So they asked her some information about Barbara Weaver's murder. And immediately, she asks, am I a suspect? And the detective is like, I don't know, Barb, are you? (laughs) This obviously raised red flags for detectives. But they told her they were just looking for information about Eli and Barbara. So Barb said that she first met Eli several years earlier when she first began working as a taxi driver for the Amish. Eli had hired her to drive him around, and the two became pretty close. Eventually, they started having an affair and sexual relationship. She claimed they would have sex wherever they could, in the car, in the barn, wherever. So... She also said that the affair had ended six months earlier because neither one of them wanted to put their marriages in jeopardy any longer. But Barb continued to drive Eli and his friends around. She said that they were never alone after that, though. So at that point, detectives brought Barb in and they questioned her about the days leading up to the murder and her whereabouts in the 24 hours before Barbara was murdered. Barb said she drove Eli and his friends to Lake Erie to go fishing the day before. She said she came home around 11 o'clock p.m. after she had dropped Eli and his friends off, and she went home and went to bed. She said she was home all night and that she had nothing to do with the murder, and she was at home with her husband, Ed. Detectives needed to confirm Barbara's alibi with her husband, but before that could happen, they received a phone call from another resident of the Amish community. This was a woman named Dandy. And she claimed that she had previously had an affair with Eli as well, and that she, he had said some pretty disturbing things to her about his wife. Dandy claimed that she met Eli years earlier on a social media website called Moco Space. I don't know if you guys have ever used it, but it was weird. She said that he had a cell phone, and she knew that he wasn't supposed to have a cell phone, but he claims that he did for work because of the business. She said that he was very charismatic, and they would just hang around the store. She would come visit him. They would drink coffee, and they eventually began having a sexual relationship, too. She said that it was short-lived, and then they went back to being friends. But she also said that Eli would make really weird comments about his wife. And she said that one day he mentioned that if Dandy were to ever see his wife in the driveway, she should run her over. Oh boy, red flag girl. Detectives then asked Dandy to try to get in touch with Eli. But the cell phone number that she had previously for him was disconnected. So she told them... Give me some time to make a new profile on Moco Space. I know that he'll reach out to me that way. And it worked. So she sent him a message and she was like, what's going on? I've heard so much about, you know, the rumors about your wife and everything. Here's my number. Call me. So within a few minutes, her phone rang and he told her that he was at his parents' house and someone had killed his wife. 
His voice was calm and emotionless, she said. And now the police had his secret phone number for the secret cell phone that he had. So they got a subpoena to pull his phone records. Police believed that if he had help killing his wife, the cell phone records were going to show it. So detectives found his many dating profiles on which he called himself the Amish stud. Really? Spoiler alert, he was not a stud. The detectives wanted to talk to the women who had previously dated him to kind of uncover more about the secret life that he had been living. They tracked down a few of the women he had dated, and they all shared similar stories about the weird and disturbing things that Eli would say to them. He would ask, do you know anyone who would kill my wife? Just flat out, like table talk, you know, pillow talk, I guess. When the women would act horrified, obviously, Eli would just play it off and pretend like he was joking when he said that. As police were digging deeper into Eli's secret life, they realized that the cell phone that he was using was from an account that was paid for by Barbara Raber herself. He was on her friends and family plan. Are you kidding me? So officers read through their texts. There were a lot of them. And it was very clear that they were not just friends at this point, and they were still continuing their affair. Not only that, but they were planning something very dark. They were planning to murder Eli's wife, Barbara Weaver. They discussed the many ways that they could make this happen. They talked about making Barbara take sleeping pills and then putting carbon dioxide, like a gas tank, under the bed and letting it leak through leak out. They were not hiding their plans. They talked about putting rat poison in her cupcake. And at one point, Eli asked Barbara just to blow up the house. And she's like, well, what about the kids? Like, your kids? And he said, well, they'll go straight to heaven because they're innocent. Sir, what? On June 1st, 2009, the night before Barbara's body was found, Barb and Eli were texting about their plans And in the text messages, you can see that Barb was really scared. She didn't really want to go through with the plan. She was like, what if someone sees me? What do I do? And Eli was trying to reassure her and egg her on, like, who would see you? Who would be there? What do you mean? So he told her where to park so that she wouldn't be seen. He told her that he would leave the door unlocked. And then the final text messages to Eli from Barb, she told him not to give his cell phone to the police and that she was going to have it disconnected. On June 10th, 2009, Eli Weaver and Barb Raver were both arrested. Detectives recovered Barb's cell phone and computer. And on the computer, they found more incriminating information. They found over 800 Google searches about poisons and how to kill people from carbon monoxide poisoning and what was the best poison to use for killing people. When they interviewed Eli, he continued to downplay the situation and claim that he had nothing to do with it. He wouldn't speak to detectives, but Barb, on the other hand, was ready to talk. She claimed that she and Eli had fallen in love, but he was beginning to suspect that his wife was catching on, and he suggested that they kill her to cover up their affair rather than getting a divorce. They set it all up, the fishing alibi, everything. 
Barb described how on the early morning of June 2nd, 2009, she snuck over to the Weaver's house and she had her husband's shotgun with her. She parked her car, walked through the woods, and entered through the unlocked door, which Eli had conveniently left unlocked for her. She claimed that as she walked through the house and entered Barb's room, she got cold feet, but the gun went off and she shot Barbara in the chest. But she claimed it was an accident. Yep, it was an accident that I snuck over there with a shotgun and in the middle of the night and shot my lover's wife. She said, quote, I never intended for anything to happen, but when it did, it was like, oh, crap, end quote. Later on, she would change her story and claim that she had no memory of ever being in the Weaver's residence. In August of 2009, Eli's team came forward with a request of a plea deal. This was their idea. He would plead guilty to conspiracy to commit murder in exchange for his testimony against Barb Raver. He gave a statement and claimed that it was all Barb's idea and that they had discussed killing his wife, and she just ran with it. He did not show any sign of remorse at this point. He never really does, honestly. Barb Raver turned down the plea deal. She wanted to go to trial and prove that it was an accident. Gotta love her confidence, I guess. So she went to trial. The prosecution painted her as the jealous woman who wanted to get rid of her lover's wife so that she could take her place. There was no physical evidence to place Barb in the house, but they brought into evidence the text messages and the 800 Google searches on her computer to prove premeditation. Obviously, they had been planning this. A witness also came forward and said that Barb Raber had asked him to leave that creepy message on the phone system the day after the murder in order to take eyes off Eli. Eli was the state's witness, and of course, he minimized his involvement, involvement and pointed the finger at Barb. After a three-day trial, Barb Raver was found guilty of aggravated murder, and she was sentenced to 23 years to life behind bars. As per prison records, Raver is serving her sentence at the Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville, Ohio. She'll be eligible for parole in 2032. Eli pled guilty of complicity to commit murder in September of 2009, and he was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. Records indicate that he remains incarcerated at the Grafton Correctional Institution in Lorain County, Ohio, and he will be eligible for parole in 2024, which does not seem long enough to me. And that is the story of the murder of Barbara Weaver. I just feel so bad for her and our poor children. They lost their mother in such a horrible way, and they also lost their father at the same time. Oh. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. The sources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes and also on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts with new episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. You can also subscribe on YouTube if you'd prefer to listen there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to share your support, head on over to Patreon. 
you can join at the $1 per month level and you'll have access to all the exclusive content. So head over to patreon.com forward slash The Haunted Corner to join now. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to tell a friend. If you have a case suggestion or a correction to share, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you soon. Bye.